Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week making his podcast debut is Aaron York. Aaron, in a story that has gone woefully, shamefully underreported, discussed by this podcast, the New Britain Rockcats, starting in 2016, will be the Hartford Yard Goats. So if you could rename any Mets minor league affiliate, which one would it be, and what would you rename them to? I think we're going to have to rename the Savannah team, because it's at least a rumor that they're moving to Columbia. So maybe they're, they're, uh, they could have a rivalry with the... Alston team, maybe. They're going to move to Columbia, South Carolina. So the Yankees team is in Charleston. They're the River Dogs. So maybe we could be the, uh, the Columbia team can be the, the Tiger Cats or something, if that's not trademarked already. 
or maybe they could be the mud something, the mud cats. I think mud cats. I, I think there's a mud dogs, and I think there is a tiger cats. I think the Hamilton CFL team is a tiger cats, and there's oh, got to yeah, be a tiger cat somewhere in minor league baseball. You cross over from having a Canadian football league name to a minor league baseball name. Um, I haven't thought of names. I love yard goats so much. I know we both agreed on that when we were just when that news first came up. It was really exciting. It oh, is. It is amazing. I would. I'm also going to rename the Savannah team, but I'm going to rename for their last year in Savannah because why not? Um, and the Sand Nats never really did it for me. Something about maybe like Nate the Nat's short shorts. Their mascot a little off-putting. <laughs> but uh, apparently, at some point in their a long history as a minor league team, it goes back to the beginning of the 20th century, they were called, I assume this was during Prohibition, they were called the Rum Runners. That's awesome! But the federal government uh, frowned on that and made them change it. So for their last year, I would make them the Savannah Run Runners. Well, compared to... I mean, that's decidedly less offensive than some of the other professional franchises out there. I didn't know Savannah had a history of bootlegging, but I guess everywhere had a history of bootlegging at that point in time. Yeah, everyone loves alcohol. There's there's bootlegging everywhere, I think. Rum Runners is awesome. It's a great name. And you could have lots of creative stuff at the concession stands based on the nickname. That would be lovely. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. To their credit, they, as I recall, uh, they have a pretty good, not that I'm able to imbibe when I'm there, but a pretty good craft, well, I don't say craft beer, but for an A-ballpark, they have a reasonable beer selection. But yeah, adding some rum, sort of, you know, gin up the rum runner's name, so to speak, would not be a bad idea. This is Amazing Avenue Audio episode 110. I haven't been naming them recently, but I'm going to I'm going to break that pattern because I have something come to me at work today, and I really want to use it as the episode title. I mean, I title them in the post anyway, but I just want to say it on the podcast. This will be the uh, the assassination of Oliver Perez by the coward Jerry Manuel edition. <laughs> We are remember the last day of the 2010 season. One of the rare Mets losses in the last day of the season. I feel like they're really good on opening day and game 162, but not in between. Offer not valid during 2007 and 2008. Yeah, it's not when it matters. It's not when it matters. Um, if it does come down to the last game of the season again, the Mets have bolstered their bullpen, which is the reason for this abbreviated podcast. We might do one later in the week, depending on what news shakes out. We'll answer your emails with the usual stuff. But the Mets went trade crazy. So we recorded this on Monday night. They made two trades, both for left-handed relievers. Traded for the Washington Nationals' Jerry Blevins and the San Diego Padres' Alex Torres. So we'll go through both of those deals as the Mets start to shore up their opening day pen. We'll talk about the big news is that once again Amazon Avenue goes cable, I guess. That's to do with the Blevins trade. We'll start with the Alex Torres one, which was the first one to break this afternoon. Alex Torres coming to the Mets. Corey Mazzoni 
and a player to be named later, which could also be cash considerations in the end. We'll see how it goes. Heading out west to San Diego. So at the time, it seemed a little weird, given that Torres doesn't have isn't a traditional Lugie profile. Was a pretty good prospect back in the day. But Aaron, how do you feel about this move? WRT the Mets 2015 bullpen. I think it's it's cool. Back when they first made it a few hours ago, I was driving back to New Jersey from a wedding I was at. Well, it was, it was technically in New Jersey. It was in South Jersey. I was at a wedding in South Jersey. I was driving back. And I, I have to ask, are you from New Jersey? I'm from Central Jersey. Because I feel like only New Jersey people actually delegate between like the different regions of New Jersey. Well, to everyone else, it's just like one state. Well, South Jersey is Philadelphia country. There's a billboard with Cliff Lee on it that I was making fun of because um, the rest of the, the uh, well, one of the one of the groomsmen and the groom is a big Phillies fan, so I like that there was still a big like Cliff Lee billboard for some local dealership of some kind. It was it was really funny. I mean, his career is sadly coming to a close, um, but it's just a sign just that of the Philly of the downfall of the Phillies, and um, we'll see. They'll probably quickly be on their feet, just like the Marlins seem to just recover from whatever they do. The Phillies, if they can trade Cliff Lee, I'm sure they'll be right back at him. But right now, it's funny to see Cliff Lee's face on a billboard representing. In, in a Philly suburb. But anyway, I first heard it on the fan that the Mets had made a trade for Alex Torres. And I didn't, I wasn't familiar with his splits until I started uh, researching for, I just wrote on the website about Sandy Alderson's comments um, where he describes Gary Blevins as the you know, traditional loogie lefty on lefty guy and Alex Torres uh, was really good in 2013 with Tampa Bay. He was really good against lefties and righties. And then last year um, with San Diego, when he donned the uh, the Mario Brothers safety cap, it it makes him look like a Mario brother, which is amusing to me. And apparently it's also amusing to Keith Hernandez, which I also, I didn't see that news when it came out last summer, but um, it's pretty ignorant of Keith to, to um, make fun of a player for wearing a piece of equipment that seems at least preferable in today's game and it, not necessary yet, but you never know where the game is going. Um, but that, that was basically his calling card. He was like that guy for me. He was the guy, the guy that was the first to wear the safety hat, which he could end up being known for that in years to come as a pioneer of player safety. But uh, this afternoon I learned that he was really bad at getting lefties out last year. He walked a ton of lefties. He had a really bad walk rate over five walks per nine. And a lot of that wasn't due to lefty on righty stuff. It was all lefty on lefty stuff. So he is probably not going to face too many lefties. You have Blevins now and you have Sean Gilmartin still likely to make that opening day roster since he's a rule five pick. So Alex Torres is probably just going to be used uh, he he was a starter not too long ago in the minor league, so maybe they can use him as a long man. They're gonna they could use him against righties, but 
Um, he's not gonna. He's not a, a loogie. He's just another guy in the pen. He throws really hard. He's still only 27 years old, so he's a useful arm to have. But that would have been a head scratcher for me if they did it. If I knew about it before the Blevins news came through, I would have wondered. Well, the Mets got a lefty, but what they really need is someone who can get lefties out. Instead, they have a guy who's, who his uh, profile is pretty typical, or not typical, it's similar to Jack Leathersick in that he's a lefty. He's good at getting righties out. He's not good at getting lefties out. He strikes out a lot of guys, and he has some control issues. So if you're a Jack Leathersick uh, fan, uh, this is another guy who's kind of like him, but he's a little stretchier. He might be able to make an emergency start. And um, he's, he's, uh, he should be a good addition to the pen if he can get his control under control and get back to the form he had two years ago. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I like the deal. I've always liked Alex Torres. He's actually a pretty good prospect in the Rave system back when the Rave system was still kind of okay. Though he fit in with those guys that like you know might be a future reliever, you know, the Wade Davises of the world. But, I mean, the stuff is really good like in a vacuum again he has issues it, it really he had issues walking guys the second half of last season in an 18 inning sample size so maybe the Mets are buying low a little bit here which would be nice and they didn't give up all that much I don't know what the player to be named later is going to be in this deal which does matter um, whether it's a 2014 draftee or just cash like I don't know what Alex Torres's value is in the market uh, they control him for five more years, which is nice. He has the potential to be a you know a setup man at the major league level, and they got him for Corey Mazzoni, who, you know, Corey Mazzoni, I think I had him, I forget what the composite list is, I didn't bother to look it up in preparation for this podcast, but I had him at 21. I think a few of our writers had him a little bit higher. But, you know, he's a back-end top 20 type prospect. The Padres see him as a starter long-term, you know, Baseball America wrote him as a future number four, and yes, I mean, he could be a future number four. Uh, but he's also thrown 140 innings the last two seasons combined, and I don't see a guy with that frame and that arm action and, you know, the issues keeping that plus fastball deep into starts to be... I don't I, I don't think he's come back to bite the Mets as a, as a good major league starter. Could it be a useful pen arm, especially in, in Petco? Sure. Um, but he's not quite there yet, and Alex Torres is, and Alex Torres throws with his left hand, which is is useful. And Alex Torres, I would say Torres' changeup is probably better than Mazzoni's split at this point, as much as I like Mazzoni's split. So assuming they're not giving up anything particularly significant as a player to be named later. And really, I would classify anything significant as um, Michael Conforto, Milton Ramos, or Udar Garcia Pacheco. Really, anything past that in last year's draft, I wouldn't worry about if that's the route they end up going. And it could be just some random dude on a list. Um, though I, I don't know why they would have not just completed a trade then if it wasn't uh, a 2014 draftee. Um, I think he's a guy that could... He could be sneaky good this year for the for the Mets pen. I mean, he's pretty much fastball changeup exclusively, which, you know, as you sort of noted, is not the traditional Luki profile, though it's also what Sean Gilmartin throws. But I mean, yeah. he's a guy that struck out, you know, he, he sort of fits into that 
Mets pen is a guy that's posted good but not outstanding strikeout rates, has some control issues from time to time, and gets some ground balls, was pretty good at keeping the ball in the park. You know, he's not, in that in that regard, not certainly as a type, but, you know, he fits in with Carlos Torres and J.R. Familia. Just gives you more options to have a potential good setup man become a potential good setup man. Yeah, he's a bit of a wild card just because he had... And all relief pitchers are hard to project, and all relief pitchers basically deal in small sample sizes. But if you look at his performance... 2013 and then 2014, he could be anything from a top flight uh, setup man to a guy who's really frustrating and walks a lot of guys when we don't want the Mets to walk a lot of players. And um, I think the best analysis was Steve Schreiber made the comment on Twitter. I think either that or it was in our comments section where he said the best part about having Alex Torres on the team is that when Collins calls to get Torres up in the pen, only 50% of the time will it be Carlos Torres, who threw, uh, I think he threw over 90 innings again last season and is just the next overused guy. So I just thought that was funny. I do like the idea, too, that in my mind, at least, like this is like Alderson like challenging... Terry, like, how many lefties can you break in one season? Just make a bullpen of all lefties. You can't break all of them. (laughs) Adding to the lefty roles, of course, is Jerry Blevins. And we'll get to the actual trade itself, but an amazing thing happened today, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, Our own Steve Schreiber now has designed Jerry Blevins' new Twitter avatar. I know, that was... was amazing um jerry tweeted i didn't see what his avatar was before but he it said was just like him in a nationals uniform okay so he said i'm on the mets now i need a new avatar uh can anyone help me out and steve said i hope you like ms paints and he submitted what appears to be a, a child's drawing of of uh jerry in a in a <laughs> in a mets uniform and he just went with it and you can follow him now do you have his twitter account if you follow it you'll see steve's finest work on ms paints just for all the world to see it's it's awesome it's a jerry blevins underscore 13 for the record um and uh, the amazing thing about that this whole thing there's many amazing things about it i'm not entirely sure whether or not jerry blevins thinks steve is an eight-year-old child (laughs) yeah that's in play that is right. He could. And if you met Steve, he kind of looks like an eight-year-old child. So I haven't had the That's pleasure. That's not fair. He's like sixteen. I think yeah. he always looks. Whenever I meet him, I think he's like sixteen. Okay. Yeah, he wasn't at. He. Uh, I don't think he was at this year's uh, arg. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to meet him. He's always really funny. I always want to see if. Like I want, I always want to see if he's really green Ricky Henderson or if Stick Guy is really a golden retriever. And like, I guess him and Mets fan for decades would also Mets fan for decades would also be a dog. I mean, he's just like a sixteen-year-old with a bowl haircut, really. 
There you go. I didn't realize he was that young. No, he's like in his 20s. He just, oh, he just looks like he's 16. Okay. Um, he's also apparently ESPN reached out because they wanted to use his avatar on like Sports Center, I assume. Really? Oh yeah, you didn't see that? No. Yeah, apparently they, they, they ESPN has this like Twitter account where they reach out to people to use their tweets on the show, I assume. So I assume they wanted to get permission from him to use uh, Jerry Bluffin's new Twitter avatar at some point. In the, uh... Oh, just from that today? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it just happened oh, today. Oh, just happened. Oh, okay. Oh, that's awesome. It is. It's very awesome. Um, I think we need definitely pre- make, like, Amazing Avenue t-shirts with, like, the Jerry Blevins drawing on it. I would love that. I think so. Eric, if you're listening to this, you're probably not, because you have, like, a kid coming in two weeks. Um, yeah, make up some shirts for us. With, like, I'll wear them to the, to the live show. We need some Jerry Blevins avatar Amazing Avenue shirts. I actually I joked on Twitter that we need to change. It's it's out with Alderson Avenue and in with Amazing Blevenue. <laughs> he's got to be like the official loogie of the uh, site now. Sounds that is, good. That's a thing that needs to happen. But as for Jerry Blevins, the professional baseball player, we should do some actual analysis here. Um, another guy who I feel like they've done a decent job of buying a little bit low on because. The Nationals, for some reason, I don't know why, decided that uh, Jerry Blevins should face a lot of right-handed batters last year. And it did not go well for him. They had an 821 OPS against him. And he had more... He faced more right-handed batters than left-handed batters. And look, Lugies, you know, teams are going to pinch hit. They're going to get a little mop-up time here and there. They're going to face righties from time to time. They should not face more righties than they face lefties. There's a reason they're called loogies, which, if you don't know, is... Uh, somebody asked me about these, sort of the etymology of it. I'm not exactly sure where it origina- originated. I'm sure on some, like, rec.sport.baseball message board on Prodigy in the mid-90s. Uh, but it's left. it stands for uh, left-handed one-out guy. So... There you have it. They should face mostly lefties for one out. But he was very good at that. 419 OPS against in 2014 with a six, uh, six and a half to one strikeout to walk ratio. And for his career, remember, always regress to the largest sample sizes. It's the one thing you can actually uh, listen to MGL about, and only that. Uh, 212, 264, 330 against for his career with a 5-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. That's pretty good. And he seems like a cool guy. And Mets Twitter will probably ruin him by May 15th. As soon as he like has one bad outing. But until then, I raise my glass of uh, Sazerac Ride at Jerry Blevins. Welcome aboard. Yeah, I like the move. They needed a... Uh, I mean, it would have made more sense to make this move first... Although Andres, I suppose they Andres, didn't make it first, okay. but they were waiting on the medicals. Oh yeah, exactly. Right. It was it, we we found out about them hours of for hours apart. So you're right. This absolutely could have been done first. Um, and Alex Torres obviously could still be really good for the Mets, and certainly still makes them a better bullpen. Um, uh, this year, but Blevins is the guy that we 
figured they should go out and get as soon as Josh Edging got hurt and Sean Gilmartin wasn't pitching great in spring training, although he's uh, had his he's moment. He's the team, apparently. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, why not? They get, give him an extra three weeks. We wait for Vic Black to get up to speed to see what you actually have there. Fine, sure. Yeah, it makes sense. So, um, But this is the guy we figured the Mets should get. Um, the cost isn't great. Matthew Dendecker, um, although I guess we'll talk about Blevins first, but he's getting up there in age, no longer a real prospect, kind of uh, has the same strengths and weaknesses as Kirk Neuenheis. Uh, so Mets Blevins- fans are weirdly attached to Matt Dendecker. Uh, this has been going on for years. And I actually went back and looked because I was curious to see what like his pre... I, I'll often say in the podcast he's sort of living off five-year-old scouting reports, and I went back to, like, his pre-draft Baseball America scouting reports, and they all say what I kind of like, like he's a good center fielder, which he was at the time. Um, defense tends to peak early, and he's not a burner, um, and a lot of his game was good reads, and he made that one big diving catch in... Yeah, he's he's uh, really exciting. Florida. Yeah, he's, he, he seems like a cool dude or whatever, but it's like... It's just he wasn't going to make the roster. You know, he's not... And if he wasn't going to make the roster this year, you've got Nimmo and Conforto on the way in the next you know, 12 to 18 months. So there's just not really a spot. His skills were redundant with Kirk, who's out of options. This podcast, of course, is still holding out hope that somehow Cesar Pueyo will make this roster. So I just can't get any look. He, he goes to Washington. It's a good situation for him to have a chance to play with Denard Spann and others out for a while. Um, I just, again, it's... A guy who's not, you know, yeah, probably an average center fielder at this point, which is nothing to sneeze at. He'll play for a while because of that. But an average center fielder with a career 634 OPS in the majors, and he's 27. It's yeah. just not a big... It's the kind of guy you trade for bullpen help. Yeah, it was a roster crunch trade for both teams with Denard Span out for Washington and Josh Edgen out for the Mets, and it's just made sense for both teams, and... Uh, Den Decker, he certainly has more upside than Blevins, who is just kind of a boring uh, guy who there's a lot of him out there. But and the, the Mets needed one of them. <laughs> yes, the Mets needed one of them. And, uh, and, but and like we already said, they have another, uh, they have another Den Decker. He's, certain, he's uh, out of options, and he also uh, can play. Uh, he's probably slightly worse at defense. I'm not too familiar yeah, with how slightly, if I mean, at all. I mean, Kirk was a considered a guy that could at least hack it in center coming up as a prospect, and that's kind of where Den Decker is at this point, between you know attrition due to age and some of the injuries he's had. I just don't see a huge difference uh, in their defensive skill set. I think Kirk's a little more established against Major League pitching. I think he's sort of your your fourth outfielder. And, you know, if... Kadir or Granderson get hurt, or even really Ligaris, so that opens a whole other can of worms. But I think the backup plan of a you know a John Mayberry, Kirk Newenheis platoon in one of the corners would be uh, perfectly cromulent. In a way, I don't feel as confident about Den Decker, even though he also has similar platoon splits. I just don't think there's enough enough pop there to really carry a corner. Yeah, if the Nationals asked for one of them, which who knows, maybe that happened. I 
would have held on to Neuenhuis the way the Mets did. So um, I'm okay with and And this podcast is not opposed to, you know, admiring aesthetics and between Kirk's beard and Bonesaw nickname. <laughs> that might tip the scale a little bit on sort of like the fourth, fifth outfielder scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least to me. Hairs. That's why I'm not allowed to make player development decisions. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, there's nothing really exciting about Blevins. He did play for the Athletics from 2007 to 2013, so maybe there was a, a Billy Bean-Alderson connection, maybe... Um, Maybe he asked Billy Bean about him. Who knows? Um, even even though, like you said, he was a little bit misused in Washington last year, he still struck out over 10 batters per nine innings, and his FIP was 2.77. He had a really low strand rate of 60%, and um, which I'm guessing is driving the FIP because... Yeah, the BABIP wasn't out of control. It was 300, which is a little bit high. Or at least, yeah. and certainly high based on his career norms. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's like whatever. He he could get blown up and be off this team by June. It's the life of a Lukey slash any reliever where you're predicting, you know, 40 inning sample sizes. But he's certainly an upgrade. And it's, it's really, they traded from something they have depth in, which is sort of fourth, fifth outfielders between... Mayberry and Neuenheis and Pueyo to get a you know lefty reliever which they have a scarcity of so it makes sense in that corner it's a, it's a nice fit for both teams really yeah this wasn't a Chip Kelly if I can use an NFL reference trade where you're kind of left scratching your head this was a this was like a fantasy trade where you're trading from scarcity and it makes sense on paper for both teams I do want Jay Blevins to do well because he's now it's now amazing Blevenu audio, at least for this edition, I guess. Yeah, Though I already re- named it something else. When I title it, I'll put it up as amazing Blevenu audio, though. So when you you already know this because you've seen it because you're listening to it. Yeah, and it certainly helps to have a connection to. I mean, you like. As fans, it's fun just to have a connection to the left-handed reliever. Like with um, Scott Rice, we had the story where he was making his major league debut uh, past age 30, which was such a rare thing. And with um, Tim Burdak, we had the thing where he dressed up as Hulk Hogan. And with Blevins, now... And don't forget the chicken. You can't forget little Jerry Seinfeld. All right, he had little Jerry Seinfeld. Um, and he, yeah, his Twitter account was great too. So now with Blevins, we have the thing with the avatar to hold on to. So it gives us something to remember these guys by because they're always uh, in and out and easily replaceable, uh, to be frank. So it's fun to have little things to hold on to to remember these guys by because there will probably be another Jerry Blevins next year. Like you said, he, and we hope he makes it through the whole season and pitches really well and but there are a lot of guys just like him from a baseball stats perspective. He's a unique individual, though. Hmm. I, yeah, he is a kind of a... I don't want to say the heir apparent to Ari Dickey. That's way too much to put on any one man, but he is a bit of a Renaissance man. Uh, I, I do like him. We haven't talked about this yet. We've almost spent a half an hour talking about two left-handed relievers. So we're going to wrap it up soon. But 
the sort of undercurrent of the story that the Nationals trade him, traded him in part because there was some bitterness at him beating them out for $200,000 at arbitration. I did not hear that angle. Yeah, he got, he got like $2.4 million instead of $2.2 million. Apparently they were annoyed about that. That sounds like a LOL Mets story instead of a Nationals are the best team in baseball story. Right. Of course, on the, on the Mets end, they actually would probably really need that $200,000. Yeah, which makes me feel like in the other deal, they're going to give up a player instead of cash considerations. So I guess we'll wrap up with this question. Do you think sort of this bullpen shuffling, I think we'll both agree that the bullpen as much as you can project any bullpen, you're a little more confident that it's better today than it was yesterday. But do you think this is a precursor to a Dylan G deal? It's possible. We heard, um, I think Adam Rubin reported that Dylan, this doesn't mean that Dylan G is, is safe from getting traded. Uh, it means he still could get traded, but... I would still bet against it because um, I still think he's their best option for the fifth starter job unless they want to. It's still a little bit more of a risk to hand the ball to Noah Syndergaard because he hasn't pitched in the majors before. So um, if you were to trade G, I'm guessing you'd get something that could help you like maybe a even better lefty or you'd have to trade him for a bench bat of some kind. I mean, you, you I think on one level it may sort of allow you if you want to trade G for like the a ball flyer arm with some upside. So you would trade him for a prospect, even though they're, kind of going for it this year by... Yeah, I mean... I... There's just enough of a whiff of upside with Montero, and I don't think the floor is that different. Oh, yeah, I totally whiffed on... I knew Montero was battling for that spot, but I completely forgot. The same yeah, thing. I just, I don't, I mean, I I, I would have gone, as I said on the show, with Syndergaard or Mats, if you're going to consider Montero, uh, but they're not going to do that, obviously. But I think, yeah, I would not be, I mean, look, they're clearly the, like, the shingle is, has been hung, and they want to trade Dylan J. Um, but I think before where you may have looked to get, like, a lefty reliever of the class of Alex Torres, or, you know, some sort of shore up the bullpen, because, you know, there's no, you're not going to get a good, you're not going to get a a serious upgrade at shortstop, and there's not really, your options to try to upgrade elsewhere are limited. Now you can kind of, now that the bullpen's a little more secure, and you have some depth there with Carlisle and Thornton, and you're carrying three lefties for some reason. Um, you can start to look. You know, it's got to be the right arm. It's got to be a guy you like, but you can trade for someone a little farther away that's not like a 40-man consideration or something like that. You know, a team that might be less willing to sell uh, to sell from their bullpen depth 
they're bringing in Dylan G, it's kind of an implication that you are looking for one more starter to kind of go for it, I would think. Um, now you might be more willing to, you know, trade some arm in the Carolina League. You kind of like, but is three or four years away. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it seemed it would make sense now. They traded G, moved Montero to the starting rotation, and played around with, you know, either Thornton or Carlisle in that uh, seventh. I guess Gil Martin's probably the seventh arm, but it's sort of another potentially useful righty arm in the pen. Yeah, and the salary dump, he's making $5 million, will probably could come in handy even next year. Um, if you look to... I mean, they just took on $2.4 million with Jerry Blevins. That money's got to come from somewhere, Aaron. <laughs> oh, is he really making that much? Because... Oh, yeah, because he's like 31 years old, and at least Torres is still under control. I didn't even think about Blevins' salary. So, yeah, maybe. I'm sure it was thought about elsewhere, though. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely was. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, the salary, I think, is as modest as it is when you compare it to um, – other teams, it's probably going to be just as big a consideration as whatever they happen to receive. But uh, just the philosophy of trading a useful pitcher, whether he be out of the bullpen or as an emergency spot starter, uh, when you just traded, uh, you know, a prospect is Corey Mazzoni is not a big time prospect, but you traded a prospect for a pitcher that's going to help you to hopefully add a win to this year's total over replacement-level bullpen guy. And then you traded uh, Matt Decker. Most people wouldn't consider him still a prospect, but he's got more upside than Jerry Blevins. So you made two trades like that, and then trading G would go uh, against the philosophy because he's a guy he's who can still help you in some regard, even just as depth. So... But yeah, if, if they need the money that badly, then I hope they get as good a prospect as possible. But um, I would like to see them keep him because it, if you're going to go say we're, we can win now, then you should just go all in in that direction. And as, that's a, as far as they can go in, they can't afford to trade the farm for a superstar right now. But if going all in means holding on to Dylan G, then that's what I hope they do. That would be a weird definition of going all in. <laughs> no, but that's, I feel like that's where they're at right now. I was just in 36 minutes. That was probably a half-win upgrade for the bullpen, so we can probably wrap things up now, I feel like. Sure. So this has been episode 110 of Amazing Avenue Audio. I know normally I do a .5 here, but screw it. I can't keep track of how many .5s we've done for accounting purposes. We're just going to... It's another episode. There'll be another episode later this week, probably where we'll talk about more in-depth probably about the Montero G fifth starter debate. I mean, there hasn't been a trade or an actual decision on that. We'll answer your outstanding emails, and there are a fair amount of them. And we'll do your weekly uh, IFK Gothenburg update, though everyone's on the international break this year, so there's not that much to report. But until then, thanks to Aaron York for hopping on on short notice, and we'll see you next week, or later this week, for episode 111 of Amazing Avenue Audio.